see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. My name is Andy and I'm here once again with my fellow movie geek and Bond aficionado and expert Sam. Hi Sam. Hi Andy. Today we will talk about one of the most anticipated movies of the year. It's of course the 25th installment of the long-standing James Bond series, No Time to Die, starring Daniel Craig, Rami Malek and Lea Seydoux and directed by Kerry Yoji Fukunaga. It is the fifth and last movie with Craig as Bond. Bond has left active service with MI6 and is recruited by his old friend from the CIA, Felix Leiter, to find a kidnapped scientist, which leads to a showdown with a powerful adversary and the ghosts of his past. The film did have a slightly troubled production history. Danny Boyle, who was set to direct the movie, left shortly before shooting started and had to be replaced with Kari Fukunaga. The movie was one of the first movies to be postponed due to the worldwide COVID pandemic and dates were pushed back multiple times. But now the wait is over. The movie is in cinemas and we are happy to dive into Craig's last outing in the tuxedo. Before we dissect the movie in all its details, we need to give out a small or rather big spoiler warning as crucial details of the plot might be revealed during our discussion. So if you haven't seen No Time to Die yet and want to enjoy it unspoiled, please come back to this episode after you've seen it. Come on, Bond. Where the hell are you? Do you ever flown one of these? Nope. Harder to tell the good from bad, villains from heroes these days. What is it? You don't know what this is. He's going to kill millions. If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to save. Sam, I know you're an expert and an avid fanboy of the James Bond movies, and we also had a dedicated episode, our second episode of this podcast, entirely to James Bond. What were your expectations going into this movie? And maybe give us a little first impression and some hot takes on No Time to Die. Was it worth the long wait? Oh, for me, definitely. Just to give some context for, for non-Bond geeks, it, it has been six years since the last Bond film, Spectre. So two of which were delays due to the pandemic, like you said. So expectations for me were sky high. And it was interesting once I sat down to watch it, I was a little skeptical if the movie would actually show up on the big screen. And I had also made extra sure not to read any plot spoilers beforehand. And therefore, I must say I was nervous. But after some initial nervousness, I was really put right into double O heaven. Pardon the cliche. <laughs> I thought it was actually really well written. It was exciting. It was suspenseful. 
as well and a very unexpected entry into the series which i thought tied up the daniel craig era with a nostalgic yet up-to-date adventure and i thought the stakes for bond and his allies and the world were really high in this one and i thought just like all the good bond films it also had kind of a proper theme at the center which came surprisingly to many was about family and making the time that, that we have count and I was thoroughly entertained. I thought it was fun, it was dramatic, the action was spectacular and exciting. There was a good balance of Bondian elements, but also clever references to former films and the world around the film as well. And of course, the major plot twists have the, the internet buzzing and, and critics writing about, you know, whether you can do that to Bond or not. But to me, the film really developed its consequentially. It made for a sad and yet beautiful farewell to Daniel Craig, an actor, actor who made Bond his very own. And it kind of tied up this Bond universe of Craig, or maybe you should call this the Craigiverse, from his beginning <laughs> as 007 in Casino Royale well to the end in this one. That's my hot take. What did you think? I mean, I was also super excited to go see it. I think, as you said, expectations were quite high because we had to wait so long for this Bond to come out. I would say it's a great evening at the cinema. It's entertaining. It uh, has good action in it. It's, it's really, it's made for the big screen. I think I really appreciated that. I think the locations and the sets and this is really it's done for the big screen and you can really enjoy it on a big screen and i also appreciated a lot of like they always do a bit these wings or these references to past bond movies so as you said i think there were a lot of these bondian elements in it which i think were really enjoyable and i also think there were a lot of of elements in the movie that i th thought were exciting and nice i had a few reservations about certain decisions especially towards towards the end. I think the first half of the movie for me was a little bit more sizzling, it was more exciting, it was more what also I would expect from a Bond movie. And then I think script-wise it somehow loses a bit the direction or the stringency it should have maybe. I think it was a bit, I don't want to say it was all over the place, but I think it was a little bit undecided. It was an entertaining movie, but I think it lost me a bit in the second half. I think the main point for me maybe was that they were putting somehow Daniel Craig as an actor above James Bond as a character. I think they were really somehow blending the the career or also the, the time Daniel Craig had as a Bond actor with Bond and also his reservations maybe or his troubles or his um, his unhappiness with the role or the huge fame he had or whatever. There are a lot of interviews where he, he famously talks about this. So I think this somehow reluctancy towards Bond as a figure, I think was is very, really visible and tangible in this movie. And I think the decision also to close this Craig era in a way which is very fitting for Craig, but I'm not quite sure if it was in the end a disservice to the character James Bond. And I think this is maybe something we can discuss further. For sure. I think that's also the controversy that is going on among some of the fans. I noticed that some of the diehard YouTubers and, and uh, Bond fans, they're very divided about that. Is Daniel Craig now important enough to give him that kind of a farewell, which is in a way also a farewell to the character that is supposed to come back in the future, the way it seems? 
and of course had had has had a much longer history than, than Craig himself. And at the same time, the others are saying, well, it's consequential. You had a beginning of him coming into being James Bond, so why not give him at, uh, an end? Probably many people didn't expect that kind of an ending. But that's certainly a, a controversial issue. To me, I was more on the side of the people who say it, it makes sense. The Bond series, in a way, never had a proper timeline. Well, he was the sixth actor to play Bond, and in a way, it didn't matter so much to me i thought well you know in a couple of years they will come back with a, a new actor and everyone will have not forgotten about everything that went on before but they will be happy to go to the cinema to see a new bond maybe start into the role maybe becoming bond again if they reboot the whole thing so after some initial shock you know because i didn't really didn't expect the ending as it comes um, i thought well yeah for craig and if you see that as a, as a chapter in the bond series that is self-contained it makes sense or it's it's possible to end it it's a bold ending for sure but uh, i wasn't bothered by it i wasn't up in arms like some people on on the internet are mm. right now where they say it's an abomination and uh, people people didn't know what they were doing i thought they were very conscious about what they were doing and paying tribute to to craig but I can see how that is a, an issue if you look at the entire Bond series as something bigger than Craig. Exactly, because I, I mean, I think, yeah, the, the change of the actors who played Bond over time and yeah, also I think the quality of storytelling of movies itself. And I think that's also the big fascination I, I guess we have with, with the Bond universe is that there's so many elements in it, but there were some things that never changed. And I think one certainty was certainly no matter how dangerous the situation, no matter how unescapable something seemed James Bond always got away with it and he never died so I think now this movie No Time to Die actually turns this upside down and the movie lets James Bond die we should maybe mention that you know the big elephant in the room exactly <laughs> finally yes James Bond dies even though the title of the film is No Time to Die which had other people up in arms and said, you know, the title's a lie. So yes, that's one of bold decision. It's not the only bold decision, but definitely it's the, it's the biggest one. It will be remembered probably as the Bond film where Bond dies. Exactly. Probably. But I think I liked what you said about the, the consequence or that it was like a logical development out of the Craig movies. And maybe we can have a look at, at how the plot is also structured. Also something that we can discuss a bit, I was always not 100% on board with this, is really the fact that they made the Craig movies one consecutive storyline. So the, the movies were connected with each other through characters, through plot points. And I think this was also something they introduced within the Craig era. And I think before there was always one movie was, you can watch them individually and they're not really that closely connected. I mean, of course, there are staple characters who pop up every now and then, um, M and Moneypenny and Felix Leiter, but they were never so closely intertwined as the Craig movies were or are. What did you made out of this? So were you like, okay, now this big arch of the Craig movies has come to an end. Is it satisfactory as a plot? Does it tie up all the loose ends that were maybe left open in Spectre? Or also, how do you think, does it reconnect with Spectre? I thought it reconnected well to the other bonds. It connected to the elements that I thought needed reconnecting. Most importantly, I think the relationship of Bond and, and Vesper Lindt, his lost love from Casino Royale, I thought they paid a really nice short tribute to her and then started the plot right away from there. I thought that was really successfully done. I was a bit more afraid of the links to Spectre because it was 
was not a movie that I had liked. Um, the reintroduction of Blofeld, the role of Madeline Swan as the daughter of one of the Spectre killers. The movie was off and I particularly didn't like the reintroduction of Blofeld as kind of the brother or the stepbrother of James Bond. That never made sense to me. And I thought this was handled really well and it almost made Spectre a better movie in retrospect because the character of Madeleine Swan is now put front and center in this film. Her story is the story of the mm -hmm. film and that was unusual and, and I thought well done but also at the same time um, they had Blofeld in one scene and I thought well it's going to be kind of a cheap scene you know they show him sitting in prison with uh, Bond just chatting with him for a little bit but his scene is kind of a key scene and he gives away key information about Madeline and I thought that was that was really well done it it gave them some space it gave them some moments to shine especially for Christoph Waltz. Plot-wise, he was important, but then he was gone and it shifted to something else. It was then about Madeline again and, of course, about also the villain played by Rami Malek tied in with Madeline's story. So, yeah, I thought it made sense the way they tied these elements up and it came to a conclusion for these elements, but at the same time, it also created something else, something that was different from Craig Bond's before. It was not just, you know, a nice way to tie things up and then we're done with it. It, it really opened up some new avenues for, for Bond, for the series, and it, it brought some closure to, to Craig as Bond. I was not quite convinced on how they handled these connections to Spectre in the sense that I think now here in No Time To Die, the writers made it a little bit easy by getting rid of Spectre and Blofeld. I mean, it, it, it seemed very convenient that there is this gala event where they have this biological weapon who kills off all of the this huge organization, all the big heads, and in Spectre this was teased, or I think in all the Craig movies this Spectre, this organization was teased as this big, super powerful, all-encompassing, villainous power with Blofeld at the helm, and I think also there, I think in Spectre, if I remember correctly, I don't have the movie that present anymore, but he's really revealed to be Blofeld at the far end of the movie, so you don't really, they, did, they never really gave Christoph Waltz the chance to develop as a true villain. And I think I had the impression that there, here in No Time to Die, there was a bit of potential lost in a way that they they got rid of them, of Spectre and Blofeld quite conveniently. In a way, I think it was, it was a bit of a mischance. I would have liked to have it more furthered down that path, especially because, in my opinion, Rami Malek's villain, Safin, was very, very bland. I, I was I think for me this was one of the weakest points in the whole movie that the villain wasn't really fleshed out I mean it, it, it never felt really threatening very powerful I think and he also didn't deserve that last powerful move basically that he makes Bond's seemingly happy and impossible I think th th this character didn't deserve to do that <laughs> I think it was it was never it it also takes a long time until the he pops up in the movie really I mean of course he's in the introduction but I think Rami Malek as as a villain or this character didn't really work for me I think it was I would say one of the weaker villains Well I liked his presence even though you're right in saying he doesn't develop much as a character he stays kind of in this threatening sometimes more Halim but lecture mode where he he talks and he he explains 
And then, of course, he, you know, you see him on his big villain's layer on the island at the end. But I think that the issue is more that they tied it up so closely with Madeline Swan and with what then happens between her and Bond. And, of course, revealing the second big plot point that they also have a daughter, which takes some time you know, figuring out if it's really Bond's daughter, but it turns out to be yes. And then I think it's the problem is that it's much more than about Bond and Madeline and Mathilde, the, the small family unit, and somehow will they get away or not? And and Malek is then kind of given the role of standing in the way of that happiness. And I think part of it is also that we don't really understand after he gets rid of, of Spectre for, I think, good reasons. You know, Spectre killed his family and he came to kill Madeline's father because he was part of this organization as well. I think once they're out of the way, the jump from him then wanting to have somehow world control with the DNA weapon that he, he is developing in the poison garden of his father. Somehow, I didn't quite mm-hmm. get that link to how he jumped from one to the other. Where did that come from? Because his, his, his motivation was personal. He wanted revenge for his family's death with Spectre. Spectre is now dead, including Blofeld. So how does he then go, well, he takes over the Spectre Island and, and wants to somehow make business with you know people selling this weapon to other organizations. That part it really isn't fleshed out, but I think they sacrificed that part. It's already and a long movie. one. A long one. It didn't feel long to me. I was thoroughly entertained, but, but you're right. That last part, in the sense of a villain's plot that is fleshed out, that is a clear and present danger to the world, mm-hmm. I didn't get that. There was something missing, which I think didn't bother me so much because I was invested in the personal story and, and you know, Craig's big finale then and the impossibility to to leave, to to be with the people he would like to be with. But plot-wise, yeah, it's there's something missing. And maybe that's why Malik then comes out as rather flat, even though you have high expectations in him at the beginning. You think, oh, wow, this is going to be such a creepy, psycho villain. And then in a way, he doesn't get that. What is maybe also a classical Bond trope, the, the, the henchman of the villain. I think there is this one guy who has this bionic eye, which is a bit interesting or which is a bit, I think, typically Bond. It's, it's very, um, how should I say, fun and curious. And but, but I think to me, it really, there was a bit of a lack of this henchman, of this villain. I mean, also villainous women, maybe, you know, like something that's a little bit more exciting. And I, I think for me, this was one of the major points where I would say it really didn't deliver on me. I, I really would have liked a more threatening, menacing, interesting villain. And I think Rami Malek just just wasn't that for me. What I liked about the villains and henchmen and also maybe some of the other characters is that they they serve their purpose really well and they're developed from beginning to end. You mentioned that Malek, of course, is missing from part of the film for, for good reason. But the, you know, the henchman that you mentioned with Bionic Eye, he's there from the very beginning until almost the very end. The same with some of the female characters that I'm sure we're going to talk about as well. They're really important to the, the plot. We mentioned Lea Seydoux, without whom mm-hmm. the, the film wouldn't work. There's also a new double O agent, a female double O agent, 
who even takes over the 007 from Bond. And she is introduced early in the film and she, she keeps having a role throughout it up until the finale where she's kind of, you know, the two 007s on this island working together. There's a scientist, a Russian scientist, that I thought would have much of a smaller role, but it, which is used throughout the film and to change his side so you're never quite sure where, where he stands. So I thought that was successful, but then also they managed well to introduce characters that were just there for a couple of scenes. I, I think the biggest standout is uh, Ana de Armas as an agent called Paloma that Bond just meets for that one evening, this Spectre party in, in Cuba. And she's great. She has tremendous energy, uh, good rapport with Craig, I thought. And that scene is absolute fun just in itself. You could just watch that scene and it would be Bond at its best. And I appreciated that, that there's development of, of plot and characters, but at the same time they were able to do these vignette scenes as well, including also Felix Leiter, his CIA friend, kind of standout moments that were just pure bond and were part of the plot, but also stood out as, as, as great moments in, in the film. Yeah, I think the, the Cuba segment with Ana de Armas, I think was really spectacular because I really think this was really why you go and see a Bond movie, you know, you really have. And I think she was very bubbly, very energetic. I think she had, as you said, a great chemistry with Craig. This was really well done, very entertaining. Somehow it felt a bit detached from the rest of the movie. I think you mentioned the word vignette and I think it's very true that you could take this sequence out of the movie and somehow the movie would also work without it or the scene would work without the context of the movie. So I think it was really entertaining. I really, really liked it. I also liked the opening um, sequence in Matera, which was beautifully shot, which really puts things into motion. There were a lot of great action sequences and segments, specifically on the Cuba segment with Ana de Armas. I just wish there was more of this. Everyone has its own personal opinion on what a Bond should be, but for me, this was really what makes a Bond movie sizzling for me. You know, you have this feisty fighting female agent who looks amazing. You have Bond who also does his things you have you know there were like the shooting scenes you have yeah i think there were a lot of elements who really came together and i just wished the movie would would have more of this but this is something that is probably my my issue with all of the craig movies that they're a little bit deprived of fun it's always a bit dreary it's always a bit okay he doesn't really want to do it but he has to do it and this Cuba segment was really, he has one mission, he has one thing to do, he has a feisty co-agent next to him, and they shoot their way out of it. And this was exciting and fun. And I think this is, to me, what a Bond should be more. But the Craig movies never really were. It was always a bit too serious for my taste. But I think that there you bring up a central point to liking or not liking the, the Craig Bonds. If you don't buy into the more dramatic bond, the more human bond, if you want that detached adventure of the Roger Moore, Sean Connery days where they didn't really care about, about that so much, then I think the Craig era was probably difficult for you as an, as an audience member. And uh, if you particularly liked the fact that they went into a continued story and had a lot of Bondian elements, you know, from the novels as well, which, you know, Casino Royale is probably the most perfect example for. Then I think this this made you really happy. And I think this film also made you happy to a, to a large extent. I'm more of the second kind. I always was a bigger fan of the Bonds that were a bit, a bit more serious, that had fun elements, you know, as they always do. But mm -hmm. uh, if I 
see what my favorite Bond films are from Honor Majesty's Secret Service, The License to Kill, For Your Eyes Only. They're more the ones that actually take the effort to tell a story with properly fleshed out characters and with something at stake. And I think there's the other camp, I don't know if you can call, call them camps, but there's the other part of the audience that just wants to go see Bond and, and just that adventure and then they forget all about it and they go to the next adventure and it doesn't really matter. And of course then this era and maybe particularly this film didn't make you happy because it ties up a lot of things that you wouldn't understand had you not seen the previous films. I agree with what you're saying. I think now in these days, also through all the TV shows and Netflix, we're so used to seriality that I think this is also, I think the Daniel Craig movies are also a bit a child of their time because we got used to seriality. We always want the story to continue. We're never, it always goes on and on and on. And I think I was never really against serial storytelling, but the fact that there are sometimes three, four, and now in this case, six years in between movies, and if you haven't seen the movie again, then sometimes some things might not be as present, and you're, oh, who was this again, and, and oh, who was that again? I think it wasn't such a big problem in No Time to Die, I would say. But I would just say that I sometimes missed in the Craig movies this, it doesn't have to be slapstick like in the Moore movies, but this this little bit more lighthearted touch. This this little bit more, okay, here Bond, here you have, you have a beautiful girl next to you, you shoot your way out of this casino, and then in the end you have some joke or a one-liner, snappy one. And this is something that I really appreciate because I also want to be entertained. And for me, sometimes, the Craig movies were a bit too much of the drama and too much of the, the heart, maybe, of making him so so vulnerable and, and, and human. But I would say that even Casino Royale, which was an amazing movie, I think, within the whole Bond series, there it also has these elements. It's, it's, it, he chose Bond as a human person, as someone who is not perfect, but it also has some some swerve in it some some swag and i think they somehow they continued to to drain it out a bit and it really made me this, this cuba segment with not the armas i'm coming back to that but it really made me think that there could also have been a different kind of craig bond which can balance it a bit more and i think they were going too much on the the sad Bond road. They set themselves up for that, you know, they, they yeah. once they decided to do Casino Royale and to continue it afterwards with a rather vengeful story in, in Quantum of Solace, I think there was no nowhere else to go, even though I would argue that Skyfall then kind of is a, is a standalone Bond, even though it also has dramatic developments. So I think with, like you said, they associated Craig with the dramatic human bond, vulnerable bond, and it was always about striking a balance. And I think Casino Royale strikes that balance perfectly. To me, I must say, I also thought No Time to Die struck quite a good balance of that, because I, I, I thought maybe contrary to you that I was having fun for a long time in the film, even though of course things were dramatic and I would argue the film felt at many points like a horror movie to me. There's also a lot of suspense and, mm -hmm. and horror mm -hmm. movie elements that I was quite surprised by. I also had fun. It, it, it threw me into all kinds of different modes. They didn't feel disconnected, but somehow they felt to me like, ah, oh, okay, even though things are dramatic, but maybe the relief by a, a one-liner or the a short fun moment, you know, by Q or by the new 007, by Moneypenny, they were there. 
and they tried to keep them keep that level up as well. I was quite astonished that that worked out. And so I said at the beginning, to me, it seemed like a well-written bond. It didn't seem like all over the place. It felt like they were trying maybe a bit too hard to please all these different audience members while at the same time taking the bold step then to follow through with uh, the plot that they had started at the beginning. They didn't shy away from that. Bond didn't show up at the end, you know, out of a submarine and just had saved himself somehow miraculously mm-hmm. or Q didn't mm-hmm. come up with some some fun trick to get Bond off that island. They went all the way into the Craig dramatic era that, as you said, not everybody likes and that maybe you had more trouble with. Um, as a qu- quick side note, maybe I will also be very happy about a future standalone Bond. I'm also not one to want seriality all the time. And I think we said that in our Bond podcast. I will be very happy with Bond standalone adventure. And I, I mean, just because I'm criticizing, also want to say that I, I want to state here on record that I also enjoyed the movie. I liked it, but I think I just had sometimes a bit reservation about these switches in tone. I think on one hand you have this spy. Is it is it a spy thriller or is it a family drama or a family horror where a family is trying to protect himself and escaping? And I think the second half of the movie is going more into this direction. And I think this was maybe also something that threw me a bit off, I would say, that all this whole sequence in Norway, where they were they hiding um, from the chasers in, in the woods and the thing, I think it feels very like a different kind of movie. It feels like more this, this family drama starring Daniel Craig, and he's, he's trying to protect his wife and kid, you know? It's, it's not... As you said, I think it, it always finds the right balance to, to pull you back in again. How would you now rate this film maybe as a film itself, maybe within the Craig era and then in a further perspective within the whole Bond series? Well, it's a difficult question because it always takes me some time to be able to do that. Normally, I really like the film at the beginning or I really dislike it and then I have to see it uh, a couple more times. Now I've seen it three times. I've actually just come back from my third time before we record this podcast and I still really enjoyed it. So it seems to be a strong sign that I will keep liking the film as an entry into the Bond series. I would say within the Craig era, Mm -hmm. nothing beats Casino Royale. This was really the perfect introduction for Daniel Craig. It's a perfect Bond film. I would even rank it very, very high up in all the Bond series. And I agree with many people who say it's just the best Bond. Um, That's unbeatable. But then I must say I was not a big fan of the other Craig films, as I said before, especially Quantum of Solace and Spectre to me were weaker entries. And I was not one to really adore Skyfall as much as many people did. I thought it was a good Bond film, had strong sides, but I was also not on board with, especially the, the, the final third <laughs> of the film, this Home Alone style uh, adventure, like, like you said recently. Exactly. So I would have to rank it number two in the Daniel Craig era. And I think that will stay that way. It's very hard to say where it, the film will rank within the entire series. That keeps shifting for me. And I see Bond films again that I thought were much stronger than I remembered or the other way around. So it will be hard, but it will be a significant one because it makes a lot of references to obviously the Craig films. It makes a lot of references to Bond films, especially Honor Mash Secret Service that is referenced by, by music and plots elements. So I loved a lot of it, but will it rank among my very favorites? It's too early to tell. 
How about you? I think it was definitely also one of the better Craig movies. I think, as you said, Casino Royale, I think is the gold standard. I just watched it recently and it's really well-paced, great actors. I think Eva Green is an amazing Bond girl. There are really so many elements coming together so nicely. Similar to you, I wouldn't say that Quantum of Solace or Spectre are top Bond films. I think they somehow serve their purpose, but it's not favorites of mine. Skyfall, I I would also say it's a good one, but I had troubles with Craig in general with this notion of Bond not wanting to do his job anymore. I mean, he they barely introduced him nicely in Casino Royale and two, three movies later he's already this old washed out agent who doesn't want to do the jobs anymore, but then he still comes back and he does it and he's doubting himself. So it's very Hamlet and I think it's... I always was a little bit struggling with that. That being said, I think No Time to Die really ties up all of this very nicely. It's very entertaining. It has great moments, a great cast with a few minus points on, on the villain side, but I think it, it really delivers and it's, it's, it's fun to watch. So as you said, it's to be seen how this movie will rank in the future within the Bond universe. It somehow also makes a clean table for what's coming next. And I think this is maybe also something we, we can touch <laughs> upon now. If, if, if you think, okay, now Bond is dead, aka Daniel Craig is dead. What do you think? What, what's next? Will they do a similar reboot? Will they just start off brand new? Do you have any ideas or wishes maybe for the future of Bond? Well, I think for now, I'm just too much in the, the zone of having a Bond film available that I can go and see as often as I want. And as you said at the very beginning, of course, especially now that we've had such a long wait and I feel it's such a, a well-made, carefully directed, beautiful looking Bond film that is out at the cinema. And like you said at the beginning, it's, it's really a movie for the cinema, the way it looks and sounds and its length. And it's, it's an experience to see it. And I would even want to see it in IMAX if I have a chance to see what that feels like. And then I think I will start thinking about the next Bond. I have quite big confidence in the Bond producers. They are clever making successful films or have been clever for, for decades now. They were really clever with making this Craig Bond work and many Bonds before. So I'm pretty confident they will come up with a good solution. At the moment, to me, it seems like the reboot with a new actor not picking up on you know the death of Bond and making it a directly continuing story would make the most sense. I cannot see that they would pretend somehow there's a new guy that's called James Bond that becomes 007. So I think a, a new reboot would make the most sense. But what will they do with some great elements they introduce like M and Moneypenny and, and Q? Will they be the same actors and actresses or not? There's some really big open questions now that they set themselves up for such mm -hmm. a a finale with Craig. But there is that, that label at the end, James Bond will return. So they apparently want him to return, but maybe they don't know themselves really. And they will start thinking about that next year and we will know in, in a couple of years what direction it will take. It will be interesting. And I think that's maybe the biggest success for No Time to Die. They created something that is creating a discussion about, you know, what, what now with Bond? That they always triggered. Is he still relevant? Should they bring him back? Who should be Bond? Should it be a woman? Should uh, he be non-white? And so on. There's so many issues that 
they talked about now they have an even bigger issue should they bring him back at all and how can they do it at the moment we're still baking in this wake of no time to die and and how the movie finishes with Bond being dead and it's also obviously the end of an era with Daniel Craig as a Bond actor and yeah as you said I'm sure they come up with something I think I would appreciate if they just cast a new good actor and they restart with Bond being a spy I would you know maybe I'm just too old school I've seen too many times Thunderball but maybe I would just appreciate if Bond comes back and he gets in the beginning the little for your eyes only file and he goes to the Bermudas and he starts his mission and there we go. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think there the world has changed and I think the world changes around Bond, even though he as a character will remain somehow familiar and similar. So I think it's really interesting to see what they will come up with. And yeah, I guess we just have to wait and time will tell. Absolutely. And I think just as a, as a final word, it's also, of course, fascinating to see how now Bond this film that was supposed to come out two years ago originally is now stylized to be the film to save cinema as a whole. There's a lot of articles out right now because it's really the big first blockbuster post-pandemic or in the course of the pandemic that is supposed to to make sure that cinema as an art form survives. And who would have thought that? I mean, not even the Bond producers could have foreseen that. But uh, fate just put Bond at this heroic position where he's now the superhero to save. save if he can save himself then maybe he can save cinema and that's a beautiful beautiful thing to think about that now bond is in that unique position true and i think as as by the looks of it now he's also succeeding so i think people are really going yes and watching the movie and it's great i think it's, it's really a movie to be seen at the cinema i will definitely go see it again exactly so <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam, for this interesting talk. Well, thank you, Andy. Always fun. And I think we will be back next time again when we are ready for close-up. You're late. When you're ready. Salute. I met your new double O. She's a disarming young woman. I get why you shot him. Yeah, well, everyone tries at least once.